Well, amen. If you would grab your Bibles as we prepare to read our scripture passage for today. Uh, Today we'll be continuing in the book of James, starting in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Pastor Bruce is going to be continuing in his series in James with a sermon today entitled, Reliving. So, if you require a pew Bible, you can find one in front of you, and you can find the passage starting on page 1201. So, please follow along with me as I read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the misery that are com- miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have eroded and your corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today in uh, humble submission to you, God. We come here together as a body of believers, ready to hear your word for us. We pray that you would bless Pastor Bruce, have our hearts uh, open and ready to receive what you have for us out of your word today, God. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. I invite you to keep your Bibles open, and I sincerely trust that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. And if you came here this morning expecting to hear a rather lighthearted sermon to ease your turkey hangover, I want to let you know up front that today's sermon is not that. In fact, I, I let you know up front that today's sermon will be rather hard to hear. Not because your hearing is bad, but rather because our hearts may not be ready to actually hear what James has to say here about greedy living. As we continue in the book of James here, these verses here in chapter 5 are some of the harshest warnings in all of Scripture. And certainly the harshest words in the book of James addressed directly to the greedy. James' rebuke comes here with a very heavy emphasis on God's judgment. When he says in verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And then he alludes in verse 3, Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. And then he says in verse 5, You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Truth be told, these are not easy words to hear. And yet we need to hear them as James calls out greedy living. These verses are a woe to the greedy as James here in this passage sounds the alarm of judgment on the wicked rich. When James says, come now, you rich, he he has in mind more than just uh, simply a, a certain dollar amount which make one makes in salary or which one has in their bank account. Rather, James has in mind the, the attitude. He has in mind the actions of the greedy rich, the wicked rich. And the, and the question becomes, well, well, who exactly is James talking about? Who here are the rich that James is referring to? Are these rich Christians in the church or are these rich unbelievers outside of the community of the church. Verse 2 depicts their wealth 
eating their flesh like fire. And verse 5 talks about them facing this day of slaughter. And so that doesn't sound like to me the future for Christians. And so there are some good reasons for thinking that James has his sights set on rich unbelievers in his day who are outside of the community of God. First, these people are not called brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not called fellow believers, terms that James has used, as we have seen consistently throughout this letter, when addressing Christians in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ in the community of the church. And second, there's absolutely no call to repentance here. In these six verses, no call to repentance. Now, that does not mean that there's still not time for these rich, rich, wicked unbelievers to repent. But there's no call to repentance. In fact, they are only told one thing to do. Weep and howl. Why? Because of the promise of God's judgment that is coming upon them. The language here is very similar to the, to the Old Testament prophets who, who oftentimes pronounce doom on pagan countries, pagan nations, and they did so within the hearing of God's people. And so that even makes us wonder here why in a book that is written to Christians, such as this letter that James is writing, why would James address wicked rich landowners who are outside of the community of God? And we'll answer this question at the end, but for now, I want you to see that James' purpose here is not primarily to teach the wicked rich about the the air of their greedy living, but rather his purpose is to show his Christian readers, his this believing audience of Jewish believers here in particular, what God thinks about greedy living. You see, James wants his audience to hear God's judgment on the wicked rich, and therefore, we, we here today, we are to hear this judgment as well that James pronounces on the wicked rich. In an indirect way, James is calling out those who who profess to worship God, but in reality, they worship money. He's calling them to examine the the true state of their hearts in light of how they view their wealth, their money, their riches. And so James, yes, he's calling out greedy living, and he's doing so directly, confrontationally, and firmly. And indirectly, James is calling out anyone who lives their lives in the way that he describes here in these verses. It doesn't matter if you are in the church or outside of the church. If we live greedily, if we trust in riches rather than trusting in Jesus Christ, we might as well start the weeping and wailing now. Because there's an eternal misery that is coming upon us. These words are not easy to hear, are they? And yet, they are God's words to us through James. Now, we probably ought to pause here and answer a question about money in general. And that is, is money wrong? Is money wrong? And the answer is, God does not disapprove of people with money, but God certainly warns us about trusting in riches and even misusing our wealth. So it's not wrong to be wealthy. Listen, you can be wealthy and rich at the same time. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And we, we can look all through the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, where we see that the Bible is full of examples of, of some very wealthy Christians. People in the Old Testament who were loaded with riches. I mean loaded. People such as 
David and Job and Solomon. And then you go to the New Testament and we read of people who used their wealth rightly to glorify God and to love their neighbors, such as Joseph of Arimathea, Barnabas, Priscilla and Aquila, and the list goes on. And so the danger here is not in wealth per se, but in so loving money that it chokes out our love for God and even for others. At the same time, the Bible is very clear that wealth is dangerous. Why? Because we, let's admit it, we we are prone to love it. We are prone to trust in it. We are prone to treasure it in place of God and to serve it like a master without even knowing we're doing so. It's the deception of wealth. No wonder Jesus tells us in Matthew 19, 23 and 24, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so the issue here is the misuse of wealth for selfish gain. The issue is finding your worth in your happiness, your joy in wealth. The issue is greedy living that chokes out our love for God and others. So in these verses here, what we see is James, he is sounding this alarm of judgment specifically on the wicked rich. In this morning here, whether your wealth is is small, or whether your wealth is significant, we here this morning, we need to hear what God says about greedy living that leads to his judgment. Number one, we need to hear the announcement of judgment on the wicked rich. We need to hear this with with open hearts, with, with open ears, this announcement that James sounds of judgment on the wicked rich. Echoing the voice of the prophets, James says in verse 1, come now. That just means pay attention. Listen up. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. This word weep, it means to sob aloud. It means to lament. It means to sob Bitterly, it was used of welling for the dead. In this word, how, it's an expression of intense grief and agony and pain. And so this cry of weeping and howling, it comes in the context, though, of judgment. God's judgment. It's the cry of agony. It's a cry of utter despair of a sinner who is exposed before God's holy presence. And there is nothing that they can do to escape his condemnation. Therefore, you are weeping and you are howling. The picture is bleak. It's very bleak. It's every bit as dramatic and hellish as the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And James says to the wicked rich here, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, there are two realities, two two facts or truths about God's judgment here in these verses that, that should cause the wicked rich to weep and howl. First of all, weep and howl because God's judgment is what? It is coming. But here's the deal. Greedy living will deceive you to this judgment that is coming from God. That's the deception of wealth and riches in greedy living. In James' day, there were actually three forms of wealth apart from loaning land. Three forms by which you measured your wealth or you compared your wealth with others, and that was grain, clothing, gold, and silver. And these wicked rich landowners, let me tell you, they had an abundance of all three, but they were already feeling the miseries of God's judgment here. Look what James writes in verses 2 and 3. He says, your riches, that's that's a, a... That's a a reference to their grain. That's how one measured their riches. They had lots of grain. 
So when he says your riches, he's saying your grain, it has rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And that caused us to wonder, gold and silver corroding, how is that possible? Because pure gold, we know, we understand pure gold and pure silver do not corrode. So this is figurative language being used here by James to express the worthless nature of gold and silver that is stored up on earth in light of judgment coming. In other words, your gold and silver, your wealth, your riches, it will be as worthless as rusted iron. Again, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, James here, he's simply echoing the warning of Jesus himself, what he said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Weep and howl. Listen, greedy living may give temporary comfort. It may give you a sense of ease. It may give you even a perception of security in this life. But long-term misery is coming. And your riches will not help you on the day of judgment, James says. Now, it's just a fact of the world that riches help you get things, does it not? Riches help you buy things. Riches even open doors for you in our world. That's the way of the world. That's the way money works in our world. But when it comes to God's economy, when it comes to God's kingdom, when it comes to God's judgment, riches are of no value. Listen, on the day of your death, you cannot slip Peter a check under the table hoping to get into heaven. That's not how God works. Riches cannot buy you a seat at God's table in heaven. And so at the time, these wicked, rich landowners, they thought they were living so well. They thought they were living secure. But if they only knew what is going to happen to them, they would begin at once to weep and howl. It's as though James is saying to them, don't be deceived by your greedy living. You may be living it up now in luxury today, but judgment is coming. And then we learn another truth, weep and how, because God's judgment is not only coming, but it is consuming. Look what it says again in verse 3. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence. In other words, it will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. The fact that the wicked rich have laid up treasure in the last days, it will be now presented as evidence that they have not followed God's commands for using wealth rightly. Rather, they have misused their wealth. And by misusing their wealth, they, in other words, they are actually providing evidence to be used in their own judgment. Their greedy living will ultimately lead to their destruction. And the graphic portrayal of their judgment is devastating here. It will be as if their wealth is burning them with fire. One commentator commentator gives this description. He says, The corrosive action of the rust on their hoarded gold and silver is now symbolically presented as eating the flesh of the oppressive rich themselves in that day. In the day of judgment, their rusted wealth, like a rusty chain, will eat into their pampered flesh like a festering sore. Its effect will be like fire, torturing while it devours. And to this promise of judgment, James adds at the end of verse 3, they have laid up treasure when? In the last days. Peter David says it this way, these people have treasured up as if they would live and the world would go on forever. 
But the last days in which they have a chance to repent and put their goods to righteous uses are already upon them. Folks, the last days are even further upon us 2,000 years later. The last days is, is the period of time in history beginning with the first coming of Christ and ending with the second coming of Christ. And Christians in James' day firmly believed that Christ was coming soon for judgment. Right after these verses here, you go to the next section here in James chapter 5. And James says in verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. We learn in verse 9 that the judge, that is Jesus Christ, is standing at the door. And so the wicked rich have laid up treasure in the last days. But in reality, they have simply laid up judgment for themselves. How arrogant of them, how foolish of them to do so. To them, James says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Listen, we are living in the last days. Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. And in these last days, us here this morning, we need to hear with open hearts the announcement of God's judgment on the wicked rich. The message of James here, it is loud. It is clear. Greedy living leads to judgment. May we also hear, number two, the accusations now against the wicked rich. You might be wondering, well, what did these rich do to make them so deserving of God's judgment? How did they live? What did they do? Well, James brings four accusations against them that lead to God's judgment. And it's interesting, beginning at the end of verse 3 through the rest of the section here in verse 6, they are all indicated by the same repeated phrase over and over again. You have, you have, you have. It's an indictment upon them as James writes this. Here's what you have done. You have done this. You have, you have. You have. This is why judgment is coming upon you. Look at them. Look at the first one. First of all, they have foolishly hoarded their riches. That's the whole point James is making in verses 2 through 3. And he, he culminates it in the very end of verse 3 when he says, You have laid up treasure in the last days. You see, they were storing away their riches. But James says, listen, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. In other words, you have hoarded your riches. You have built bigger barns for all of your excess grain. But James is letting us know, he's reminding us through this indictment upon them that a day is coming when all of that stuff is going to burn up in the fire And these wicked rich, if they do not repent, will burn up with it when God's judgment comes. Now, again, to be clear, so there's no misunderstanding here, foolish hoarding is is very different from what we could call wise saving, which is actually commended in Scripture. Hoarding has to do with that insatiable desire to accumulate more and more and more because God is not your treasure. Because God is not your security and heaven is not where your heart is. In the words of Randy Alcorn, saving becomes hoarding whenever God prospers me and I keep raising my standard of living instead of raising my standard of giving and sharing. You see, these rich landowners, they were hoarding their riches on earth in the last days instead of using the blessing of God's riches, the blessing of God's wealth for his kingdom purposes. We need to hear this reality. 
What you hoard in this lifetime will more than likely never be used. It will never be shared with others. And most of all, listen to me, it will testify secretly to your lack of trust in God's provision for the future. Hoarders trust in wealth rather than in God. Hoarders worry over possible future catastrophes, but they ignore the certain catastrophe of facing God's judgment without faith in Jesus Christ. How foolish to hoard earthly riches in the last days when salvation has come. Salvation is here today and judgment is near. Second, they have not only foolishly hoarded their riches, but James calls them out and says they have callously defrauded their workers. Now, remember, these wicked rich were landowners, and they were treating their day laborers unfairly, unjustly. Look what James says in verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now, in James' day, day laborers were poor. In fact, they were very poor. Their wages were small. They lived on the verge of starvation. And so, as you might imagine, a day's wages for a day labor, it is everything. No wages means no food for the family for that day. But these landowners, they were getting rich by cheating their day laborers out of what's due them. James says these day laborers mowed their fields and not with John Deere tractors. They did so by hand. That is cutting the fields down so they could replant come springtime. It was intense, hard, long work. And the tense of the verb here indicates that the, this work of mowing the fields, it had been finished, it was complete, and they have justly earned their pay, their wages. But these greedy landowners were doing what? They kept back by fraud the wages of these laborers. In fact, this, this phrase, this term, kept back, it indicates that this isn't just a delay in paying them. It's not like I'll pay you tomorrow or next week, but rather it is a complete default on paying them on the basis of some kind of made-up technicality. These landowners, in other words, they are simply refusing to pay what they owe so that they themselves could live in luxury and self-indulgence. But God is concerned for the poor. God has mercy and compassion for the oppressed. In fact, in the Old Testament, God instituted laws to protect them. Leviticus 19.13 says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. So you don't wait until the next day. You pay your worker on the spot at the end of the day. Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15 says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your town. You shall give him his wages at the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and he counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. And these greedy landowners, listen, they think, though, that nothing can stop them. They own the land. We're going to see in a minute. They basically own the court system. They think they are all-powerful. Nothing stands in their way. They can do whatever they want, and nothing will stop them. But James says, it's interesting, it's actually very comforting at the same time. He says, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
Whoa, whoa. The Lord of hosts here is the Lord of the heavenly armies. That title stresses God's power. It stresses his sovereignty. God, in other words, it means he sees all things. He, he knows all things. He controls all things. And in this case of these day laborers, God hears the cries of these poor day laborers who are being cheated out of their wages, and he promises to act on their behalf. These wicked landowners should weep and howl over the judgment that is coming upon them. They have cheated these day laborers all for the purpose, number three, because they have proudly lived in self-indulgence. James says in verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. These wicked landowners were using their wealth, in other words, to gratify their own love of comfort and to satisfy their own lust. In fact, this phrase that James adds on the earth, it just adds the thought that they think nothing of God in heaven. Their whole mindset of their wealth and their life is here in the temporal. It is on earth. There is no concept of eternity for them. They live for the pleasure of this age in luxury and self-indulgence. James, don't misunderstand. Again, he's not saying that we here today, that we can't enjoy the good things of this world that God gives to us. So don't confuse the two. He's not saying that. But when our enjoyment becomes self-indulgence, then we are living well beyond a lifestyle of contentment. You see, James is warning us that those who live for pleasure in this world, on this earth, will suffer sorrow in the next. And again, man, don't miss the imagery here in the rest of verse 5. Look at it. Look at it with me in verse 5. James says of these wicked landowners, you have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. These wicked rich are like cattle. They're grazing. And they are stuffing themselves. All the while, they are oblivious to the fact that every bite moves them closer to the day of their slaughter. Alec Motier, Bible commentator, adds, and I quote, they are like so many unthinking beasts, luxurating in their rich pasture day after day, growing fat by the hour and careless of the fact that each day, each hour brings the butcher nearer. Only they think beast is safe in that day. The well-fed has made itself ready for the knife. In such a way, James saw the wealthy blind alike to heaven and hell, living for this life, forgetting the day of slaughter. David Platt adds these words when he writes, May God help us in our materialistic culture to see the warning in this imagery. May we not be like cows enjoying all our stuff, unaware that we're about to be destroyed. All this, it reminds us of the description going back to Sodom and Gomorrah. The prophet Ezekiel makes mention of this in chapter 16, verse 49, and he describes it this way. He says of Sodom and Gomorrah, the people, before their judgment, they had pride, they had plenty of food, they had a comfortable security, but they didn't support the poor and needy. In other words, what Ezekiel the prophet is saying about them, the people in Sodom and Gomorrah were overfed and unconcerned. And it led to their destruction. And now James says to these wicked landowners, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And then number four, they have ruthlessly perverted justice. James saves his strongest accusation for the end. In fact, it seems out of these four accusations that they progress in severity till you get to this last one in verse 6, 
where he writes, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, there is absolutely no reason to think that murder was beyond these rich landowners. Their wickedness, their exploitation could have directly led to the murder of some of these poor laborers. This word condemns also suggests a court of law. So it is also likely that these rich landowners are now using the legal system to deprive the poor of their wages, which resulted in the loss of life for some of them, if not many of them. Craig Blomberg explains it this way. In the Jewish world, to deprive a person of their support, that is their means of making a living, was the same as murdering them. Remember what James asked back in chapter 2 and verse 6. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into the court? In James' day, and we can understand this because it even happens in our day still. In James' day, the courts were owned and controlled by the rich. And because the poor have no means to defend themselves now in court, they lose everything they have to the rich. That is what the wicked rich are doing. And ultimately, their oppression of these poor believers would lead to their own damnation. Notice the last part, though, of verse 6. James says, he, that is the righteous person, does not resist you, does not resist these wicked landowners, these poor believers, these poor day laborers, do not resist these wicked landowners who were oppressing them and perhaps even murdering some of them. You say, what? How is that even possible? You mean they refuse to retaliate? They choose instead to leave their vindication in God's hands? Yes. That's not normal. That is not normal. Folks, that can only be explained by the power of God's grace working in these believers' lives. For surely they were tempted to resent their treatment. Surely they were tempted to retaliate, and yet they do not resist, and instead they endure suffering at the hands of these wicked landowners. These wicked landowners should weep and howl in light of the judgment that they are storing up for themselves. All of this now brings us to James' purpose in rebuking the wicked rich with this announcement of judgment. Again, the question is, why in a book, in a letter that is written to Christians, Jewish believers who are part of the church of God, why would James address directly these wicked rich? After all, these, these wicked landowners, they were outside of the church community. Which meant more than likely, they did not even hear James sound the alarm of judgment on them. So, so how would these Christians benefit from hearing this announcement of judgment on the wicked rich? Why waste pen and paper to write this? Well, James wanted his, his audience of believers to hear God's judgment on the wicked rich for two reasons. To protect them and to comfort them. James wanted to comfort these oppressed believers and he wanted to protect them. Calvin draws attention to these two purposes when he writes, listen to what he says, 
James has a regard to the faithful that they, hearing of the miserable end of the rich, might not envy their fortune. And also knowing that God would be the avenger of the wrongs they suffered, they might with a calm and resigned heart bear them. For two reasons, James addresses the wicked rich in the hearing of Christian believers who are being oppressed. He wants to protect us. He wants to warn us even today, us believers here this morning, not to envy the rich nor trust in our wealth. In other words, James He longs for us to know how to think biblically, how to think properly about the rich and their wealth. Listen, it would be so easy, and is it not easy even today for us here this morning to envy the rich, to aspire to be like them, to grow bitter that we are not like them. RVG Tasker writes, the words addressed to the rich are meant not primarily for their ears, but as an encouragement to Christians in times of unjust treatment to dissuade them from the folly of setting a high value upon wealth or of envying those who possess it or of striving fervently to obtain it. And so James here, he he rebukes these wicked rich landowners, and he does so in order to protect us from the seductive power of materialism. Alec Mortier writes, more than any of these areas of high risk to our walk with the Lord, wealth threatens its possessors with coming misery. It's earthly cushioning, dulls the sense of spiritual urgency and of the reality of divine judgment. C.J. Mahaney adds these words. As these oppressed Christians hear about the coming miseries of those held under the spell of materialism, James' warning protects them from the temptation to materialism. It would protect them from envying the rich as they perceive their end. And so James is showing us something here. He's showing us that it is incredibly dangerous to be in the particular position that these rich landowners find themselves in. Judgment is coming upon them, and it will be consumed. And so this is a warning here for us not to head in that direction of God's judgment. Oh, how merciful our God is. Is God not merciful to us here this morning to warn us of this? Folks, he is merciful. He is gracious here through James to record this for our hearing today to warn us. God is loving. God is merciful upon us here this morning to warn us not to envy the rich, nor to trust in wealth, especially when everything in our culture is pulling us in that direction. But James also has a second reason for writing this. It's not just to protect us, but it's also to comfort us. To assure us believers here this morning that God hears their cries and will bring justice. Remember again, who is James writing to? He's writing to these Jewish scattered believers. Most of them were poor and often oppressed by the rich, such as these wicked landowners. And so this message of judgment, listen, it was was meant to give them hope that God does see their oppression, does see their plight, does see their injustice, and God does hear their cries, and God 
will respond with justice. These suffering believers, let me tell you, they're no different than you and I. They would be tempted to resentment and retaliation. But, but this awareness of God's justice and judgment, oh, it would comfort them. It would strengthen them to persevere in their faith as they endure this suffering. For the original readers of this letter of James, who were being oppressed by these wicked landowners. Listen, it would be a comfort to their heart to hear the words, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. When that was read aloud in their worship gatherings like this, that would be a a great comfort to them being oppressed as they were. Just think what that meant to these suffering believers to be assured that God hears my cries and God will bring justice to my situation. Oh, what comfort it is to be assured that my cries have reached the ears of my Lord, the Lord of hosts. God sees, God cares about my suffering, and God has the power to bring justice in the coming day of judgment. He is the Lord of hosts. He will lead a heavenly army in defense of His people, in defense of you. And to those who use their wealth to oppress others, to live in luxury now on this earth. And it may seem that they are going unpunished now, this lifetime. But James warns them that they should what? Weep and howl for miseries are coming upon you. Therefore, listen, we, we do not need to usurp God's role in executing judgment. We do not need to to take on his place and seek revenge because God will act in due time. This is why James says right after this passage in verse 7, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He's coming again And that's what we look forward to. That is our anticipation. That is our expectation. That's why we can endure suffering. Because we know justice is coming one day, not on our own, but in our Lord of hosts. Until Jesus comes. And he is coming, by the way. Oh, I hope you believe that. I hope that is fixed in your heart and mind. Jesus is coming, and until that day, here are a few takeaways for us. First, if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, James is pleading with you to turn to Jesus for your salvation, for there is no other way to escape the coming judgment of the judge. So whether... Your riches here this morning are small or significant. Don't trust in them for your salvation. Only Jesus can save you. Turn to him if you haven't already. For believers here this morning, here's a few takeaways. First of which is this. Live with eternity in view. Listen, Jesus is coming, and only treasure that is stored in heaven will last. Everything else that we touch and see and feel is going to burn up one day. So why would we hoard it for ourselves? Do not misuse your wealth. Live with eternity in view. Two, give thanks to God for what he has given you. Here it is, Thanksgiving weekend. Have you even acknowledged God as the giver of everything you have? 
James reminds us in 117, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So give thanks to God and enjoy what he has given you here on earth. Do you realize so much of our discontentment in this lifetime is because of our ungratefulness? Every morning we ought to wake up and just give thanks to God for another day of life. We learned that last Sunday, did we not? So give thanks. Live with eternity view. Then then last of all, use what you have, what God has given you to bless others for kingdom purposes. Listen, don't live in self-indulgence. Now, does that mean your $6 mocha cappuccino from Starbucks is a sin? Is James saying it's wrong to go on vacation at Disney World? No, no, that's not. Don't misunderstand. That's not what James is saying. No. Nor, nor, listen to me, nor is James condemning the wealthy in general here. But make no mistake about it, James is condemning the kind of spending that's motivated by self-indulgence. Listen, as believers, we, we are exhorted to glorify God with what he has given us. Whether your riches are small or significant. And so instead of foolishly hoarding on earth, let let this passage here, let what James writes here in chapter 5 motivate you to lay up treasure in heaven through grace inspired generosity. With your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious God. You have given us so much. And most of all, you have given us the blessing of salvation in Jesus Christ and the riches of heaven. And so may we hear this warning as hard as it has been to hear it. May we hear this warning to the wicked rich. And may we not be like those who trust in riches, but trust in you. And may we, even now, be motivated to lay up treasure in heaven through your grace that inspires us to generosity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.